All right, so we, we've been talking about sharing our faith. That's, that's been the study that we were in. Uh, we did finish that up last week. We're going to start a new study tonight. Um, I meant to say something on Facebook. Hey, just in case you forgot, it's Tuesday. You know, I say that every, every time on the Facebook, and I, for, I forgot Facebook was a thing today. So anyways, we're going to start a new study tonight. We're going to call it Tiny House. How many of you have ever heard of, I know she's excited. How many of you have ever heard of a tiny house? It's, that is a, that's a, a form of a tiny house. That's a, that's a camper. But that one's got wheels, so we liked it. Okay, so there's, there's your more general tiny house of the day, right? And so tiny house is kind of a, a new fad, a new movement. Everybody's getting excited about tiny houses. It's, it's easier to pay for the tiny house sooner, I guess, because they're less expensive, unless you, you know, are terrible with your money, whatever. That's still a hard thing. Um, it's all about minimizing, you know, see, the, what we've done as Americans is we've, we've gone bigger and we've gone more expensive and we've gone extravagant and, and we've found that, that that doesn't fill the void. So America's going to swing the pendulum the extreme opposite because the problem was I had too much. Now I'm, I'm going to get rid of all my stuff and I'm going to live in, you know, in a camper on somebody else's plot of land and it's going to be awesome and I'm going to find fulfillment, and, and so I've got this thing figured out. We're all going to get tiny homes. We're going to move to the Roth estate. We'll use his water. We'll swim in his pool. We'll dump our waste in his creek. It'll be awesome. We'll, we'll all just move to Rothville out there. It'll, it'll be a thing, right? And how many of you knew or know that God used to live in a tiny house? The tabernacle, exactly. We're going to learn about the tabernacle the next few weeks. We're going to talk about God's tiny house that was mobile, that he moved all around when he moved the Israelites. Uh, God was into tiny houses before tiny houses were a thing. You know, he, he knew about that before we did. And, and God was absolutely a minimalist, you know, and we're going to look at the furniture, and he didn't have a whole lot, but every single thing means something very specific. Every single thing has an importance Everything has a reason, and God is all very detailed and very organized and, and very purposeful. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into Exodus chapter 25. So if you brought your Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus 25. If you brought your Bible and you don't know where Exodus is, it's the second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 25, and we're going we're gonna to get into some details of of God's tiny house tonight, and then again, the, the next three, four weeks or so, we'll look at the furniture, we'll look at the, the priest, the guy that used all the furniture, and what he did, and why he did it, and, and all of those things. Let's go ahead and read in Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9, and it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering." And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and sheetam wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. 
and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make it. I think I have a picture of, of you know, what is generally assumed that this thing looked like. And so all of those things that he's gathering together are going to be the materials that are used to build that tabernacle. It's got a, a fence around it. The tabernacle itself is the, the individual uh, unit with the smoke coming out, and then all of the nation of Israel is camped around it. And uh, so that's what, that's what we're going to get into. It's thrilling stuff to read through. But it's really awesome when you get to the New Testament and God starts putting the pictures together for you. And he says, okay, all of those boring details that I laid out and all of those materials that I had you collect, every bit of it means something. Every bit of it means something for you. All right, and so we're going we're gonna to get into that. Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll start off on, on your study sheet. Lord, thank you so much for the tabernacle. Thank you so much that you desire and have always desired to come and dwell with us. Uh, what an incredible truth that is, that the God of the universe, the God that created everything we see around us, wants one-on-one time with us, that you want to walk with us, that you want to talk with us, that you want to dwell where we are. And you want us to be where you are. And, and Lord, that is incredibly special. And so I just pray that you help us to uh, grab a hold of this truth tonight. That we would uh, be able to just understand how that applies to us personally. And that we would realize how special this is. And uh, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so the first thing that God says to do, and we see this in verses 1 and 2, is, is that we need to make an offering to God. Alright? The Lord spake unto Moses, the verse, verse 1 there, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. All right? So God's not demanding that everybody give him a specific quota of a certain amount so that they have enough to build this thing. He says, hey, you guys want me to dwell with you? You have the opportunity to give me a willing offering. And we'll use those supplies to build, build my house. Uh, Exodus 20, uh, 35, uh, a little bit later, it's talking about the same thing. Basically, Exodus 25 all the way through 40 talks about the tabernacle and all the details of the tabernacle. It's a lot of information. In chapter 35, verse 29, that says, The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Okay, so what God commanded was what they were going to make. He asked for volunteers to, to bring the materials, right? He had a plan, and this is what he was going to do, and it's kind of like us today, right? He has a plan of salvation, and he's saying, you can get in on that or not. It's, it's your choice whether you choose to follow and believe and, and, and make Christ your Savior, right? All right, and, and the First Chronicles... 28.9, this is later when Solomon is building the, the temple that actually replaces the tabernacle. Like uh, The tabernacle was, was kind of the traveling tiny home, and then the, the temple was the permanent uh, fixture. In 1 Chronicles 28.9, it says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. That's what God's looking for, a mature heart, a, mature, a heart that loves him, completely, and, and, a, and a mind that is willing to submit to whatever God says is true and is willing to go wherever God says to go. 
He says, a, a, willing, or a, a perfect heart and a willing mind, and the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will crack, cast thee off forever. 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, right? Pastor Jeff, last Sunday talked about, you know, being paid to do ministry, being paid as a position, as a full-time minister. You know, we, we don't do it because we have to do it. We do it because it's an opportunity that God's given us. He says, not uh, <clears throat> by constraint, not, not forced to do it, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. We're not doing it for a paycheck. That's something that, you know, hopefully I can, I can pull in a paycheck and not have to worry about all those other details of making that money. I can put all of my energy into this. That's not the reason. It's, it's having a ready, ready mind and a willing heart, just like Solomon. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Right? God's looking for an offering that was given out of the abundance of their heart. That's the exact same thing he wants from us, right? He wants you to give to him. He wants you to, to give back to him out of the, the joy of what you've received from him. He, want, he loves a cheerful giver. And Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, or I beg you, He's pleading with us by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Right? Not only should you give of your treasure, he says, you know, when that offering plate comes by, go ahead and hop in there. Why don't you just go ahead and offer your whole self? Go ahead and, and be a living sacrifice. Go ahead and be a living offering that you willingly give God whatever he's asking for. He's asking for you. All right. So what is the specific offering? We're going to look at the details of those things that he asked for. Uh, look at verse 3 again. It says, And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and sheetam wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate. All right, so we're just going to go through these different items, and, and beside the items, I've kind of, you know, put them in categories. Beside the, the, the items, we're going to talk about what, it ta what happens to these items. None of these items are just raw material found on the ground. Every single one of these things is processed. That's what makes these items more valuable. It's not like, you know... We found a log on the ground. Here you go, God. Here's a log. No, it's, it's a processed material that's actually useful when they're done with it. It's, it's processed materials that, because of the process they go through, they've gained value. Okay? And so this is what God wants them to offer to him willingly, is stuff that holds high value to the Israelites. It's not junk. It's not leftovers. This is valuable stuff. So the first thing is gold and silver and brass. It's precious metals, right? And how do you get precious metals to be worth more? You purify them. You heat them, right? So heating and purifying would be your blanks there. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. The process to make silver more pure is to remove the impurities, 
right? And you've got to do that with heat. You've got to do that through a process of purification. And there's, there's many verses, I, I didn't put one on here, but there's many verses that talk about the trials that we go through as individuals, as believers in Christ. There's trials that we go through for the purpose of purifying us, right? God turns up the heat in life so that all the impurities come to the surface. Have you ever had life heat up on you and then everybody knows what an idiot you are? Because you opened your big mouth? No, me neither. Right? The, the heat in life gets cranked up and, and the impurities come to the surface for everybody to see. That's not a fun time. That's very humbling. Right? And God has to clean that off and, and you're more pure than you were before. And he says, I want you to offer that because that's worth more than it was originally. The colors, uh, there's uh, blue and purple and scarlet. You know, he's not talking about your Crayola set that you've had since you were a kid. Um, I, I, I tried to find some verses. There was really nothing that said how they get the colors, so I just kind of looked up some, some historical facts. Basically, most of those specific colors in that region, they get them from shellfish. So they got to go fishing, they got to catch some shellfish, and they got to grind them up. So I, I've got fishing and grinding. Right? They, don't, they don't just find colors laying on the ground. <laughs> I don't even know if it's a powder or if it's a gel or what it is. I assume they're taking these shellfish up, they're grinding them up into some sort of a powder. They can mix it uh, with oils in that and, and have a dye. So th- thinking about fishing, that makes me think of Matthew 4.19. Right? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's a process that will make you worth more to the Lord. It will make what you have to offer more valuable, right? Romans ten fifteen says, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, right? God sees that as beautiful. Now, he, he loves you. He, he thinks you're beautiful in and of yourself. He thinks you're valuable in and of yourself because you know, we, we know that because he died for us, okay? He holds us at a high value, whether we deserve that or not. But he says it's beautiful when you preach the gospel. And Song of Solomon 7.1 says, how beautiful are thy feet with shoes, right? I don't know, feet aren't all that beautiful on, the, on their own. They're, they're beautiful with shoes, gospel shoes, right? That's what we used to call it in, in the, the children's church, right? It was, put on your gospel shoes, Right, and I assume, you know, good-looking gospel shoes probably have colors mixed in. Go fishing, right? Let us see. There's different fabrics. Uh, there's goat's hair, and what makes a pile of goat's hair worth something? When it's woven together, when it actually serves a purpose, right? What what makes a a bunch of thread worth something is when it's a a fine garment. So weaving. There's an interesting verse, uh, Exodus 35, 35 says, them hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work, of the engraver and the cunning workman, of the embroiderer in blue and in purple and scarlet, well that sounds familiar, and in fine linen, and of the weaver, even of them that do any work, of those that devise cunning work. Five times he says work or workman, right, when he's talking about these, these threads and this this fabric. In uh, the, the New Testament, we see 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. There's work to be done, right? 
cunning work, difficult work, time-consuming work, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you want to have more value to bring and offer to God? Spend some time in God's word. Spend some time studying so that you can rightly divide, so that you know the truth, so that you're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. That brings value in your offering to God. Spending time and working. Uh, some of these other ones, I, I wasn't able to, to find a specific verse, and, and honestly, we don't have time to, to really go crazy on them. So animal skins, if you think about how do you get animal skins, you've got to hunt them or you raise them, and they don't just, you know, they don't just fall off at the animal. <laughs> I played, you know, what is that, uh, Minecraft, where you, you touch the sheep and you got a, a block of wool. <laughs> oh, that was easy. That was pretty awesome. It's not like that, right? It's a long and difficult process. It has, you have to kill the animal, obviously. It doesn't live without the skin. The animal has to die. You have to, to soak it in some sort of mixture, you have to wring it out, and then you've got to stretch it and dry it, and then you've got to work it so that it's, it's a whole long process, or else it's just skin. <laughs> right? It's just gross. <coughs> it's just a dead animal. So, so hunting and tanning, all of that process is what is added to, or, or adds value. You ever feel like you've been stretched out and left in the sun to dry? You ever feel like life's twisting you up? And God says that adds value. Uh, letter E, wood. This, the sheetum wood, this acacia wood is what, what it is uh, from an acacia tree. It's a, a tree that was very valuable because it was kind of impervious to bugs. But if it's not cut down and formed into anything, it's just a stick, right? It might be valuable if you need to whack somebody, but but it's not, a, it's not a valuable offering to God until you cut it and you carve it into something, right? It has to be processed, right? And, and the Bible talks about being cut down in our pride. Sometimes, to make us more valuable, God needs to cut us down. Sometimes God needs to carve away the, what he doesn't want there. There's too much. Uh, oil and spices, these, these come out of, of all different types of things. You know, one of them specifically is, is an olive, and they get that out by beating it or by pressing it. Right? You've, got to, you've got to apply pressure. Exodus 27, 20 says, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring the pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. Right? So you've got to beat it out of that thing. You ever feel like God's Got to beat something worthwhile out of you. <laughs> you ever feel like that? I mean, I've, I've felt like I've had rough days and I've had, you know, times where, you know, the heat of life, the pressure of life is, is, is squeezing on me. The bad stuff's coming out, but he's saying, hey, man, when you, when you respond right, the good stuff's coming out too. And I can use that sacrifice. I can use that offering. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five says thrice, this is Paul, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep. And maybe, maybe God brings that precious oil out of us by persecution, by allowing persecution. Right? Maybe rough times make us more valuable. I think that's what he's trying to tell us. 
Proverbs 23, 14 says, another use of beating something or someone, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. This is talking about a, a disobedient child. A disobedient, what a, what a cue. Look at this guy, disobedient child, and Wyatt walks in the room. I'm sorry, Wyatt. Beat that guy with the rod. No, it says, thou shalt beat him with the rod, thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. It's not talking about abuse. It's not talking about, you know, beating your children because, you know, that's, that's just what the, you do. No, it's, it's a spanking, right? And he's saying chastisement, chastening, is what brings that oil out if you respond correctly to the Lord. Hebrews tells us that, you know, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Right? He corrects us when we're going the wrong way. We're his children, he's going to correct us, and when we react the right way, he says, that's worth something to me. You've now gained value. You've been processed a little bit. I've removed some of what shouldn't be there, and that's a precious oil. And then letter G, the gemstones. So how do you get gemstones? You've got to dig. You've got you to cut them away from where they're at. <clears throat> Job 28.16 says, it, it cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. He specifically names onyx in this, this passage. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says, Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, right? This is what we, this is our actual work that we bring to the table. These are the things that we do. Are we putting work into things that have eternal value? He says that's gold and silver and precious stones, like that onyx stone that we just mentioned. Are you investing in things that are temporary, things that are just going to vanish away when, when Christ returns, when you go to heaven, to the judgment seat of Christ? Well, there's, there's no eternal value there. There's, there's nothing that adds value. So what are your investments? First Peter chapter 2, verses 1-5 through five says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, He's talking about the most precious stone. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The precious stones that he's talking about is us. We're the building material that he's using to build the church. What are we investing in? Who are we investing in? The two eternal things that we know of are the word of God and the souls of men. What time are you spending in putting those two together? That stuff's going to last. That stuff is precious stones. Those are the things he's building the church with. All right, so that's the raw materials. What does God intend for us to do with them? He, he says, give a, a willing offering. I, wanna, I want you to, to give these things that, that have value to you to me, willingly. And they have value to you because they take a lot of work to get them to the state they're in, right? Um, growing up, <clears throat> my mom, you know, she raised us as a single mom. She worked really, really hard 
to be independent, to be strong, to be able to, to lead and do all the things that she needed to do. She got married for a time, had a stepdad for a time, and, and they just butted heads and butted heads and butted heads. And one of the, the phrases that she said was, I've worked too hard to let you have control. I've worked too hard to survive. Who I've become is more, I can't let go of this. I can't willingly lay this down. You know, that, that's what we do, right? When we survive difficulties, it's more valuable. And God says, I want you to lay that down for me. I want you to willingly give that up for me. I want you to willing, willingly allow me to remove that pride. Mm. That's a tough offering, isn't it? When, when it's personal, it's a whole lot tougher. It's personal. That's why it has value. It has value because your life has been processed. Because it was hard to get there. Because it, it wasn't something that just came automatic or was given to you free. It came with pain. It came with difficulty. It came with a struggle. It came with somebody making fun of you. It came with whatever it came with. And now it has value. And God's saying, will you willingly lay that down? Because if you can, man, my dwelling place is going to be more attractive. I'll use that. I'll use that to build the church. I'll use that to build other people. But if you hold on to it, you're allowed to hold on to it. I'm asking for a willing sacrifice. The second point is, we, we take an offering for God, we want to make a home for God. That was the purpose. The whole purpose of the, the tabernacle was so that God had a dwelling place in the midst of the nation of Israel. Right? The picture is that, that Israel was in slavery to Egypt, right? They were in bondage, just like we were in bondage to our sin. They, they had a, a man, an evangelist named Moses, bring a message of deliverance. They followed him out Right? That's the picture of salvation. They followed Moses out. They followed the Lord through Moses. Salvation from bondage. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ out of the bondage of our sin. Right? So they're free, and God is with them. He's, he's traveling with them in a cloud and a pillar of fire. He just doesn't have a dwelling place there. Right? He doesn't have that, that, that spot where they, they can have a, you know, a personal connection with him readily and, and all of the time. Uh, verse 8 and 9, again, in our passage, it says, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I might dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. All right, so the, the interesting thing here is that in these verses, he calls it a sanctuary. He calls it a dwelling place, a place he may dwell and he calls it a tabernacle. So we're going to look at those three words real quick. The first one, sanctuary. We see 2 Chronicles 20, verses 8 and 9. It says, And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil come upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction. Then thou wilt hear and help. Man, this sanctuary that he's talking about is protection. This sanctuary 
this, this close relationship with God that they're talking about, him dwelling right there with them constantly, anytime you get into trouble, man, I'm right here. I'm, I'm ready to, God's ready to respond because his name dwells there, right? Second Chronicles, Chronicles 7.16 says, For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. So the sanctuary is a place that's sanctified, and that word means set apart. It's different from everything else. It's set apart from sin. It's set apart from the ways of this world. It's set apart from what everybody else is doing. God's, God's doing his thing. He's not doing what the world's doing. He's not asking you to do what the world's doing. Right? His name is in that place, and it's sanctified. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you. He, he just listed a whole bunch of different sins. And he says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you know why we're sanctified? Because the name of the Lord Jesus resides here. Amen. He set us apart from this world. So when we go out and do the same things the world's doing, he's saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. I set you apart from that. I set you free from that. You're sanctified. Come into the sanctuary. I live in the sanctuary. We're set apart from that mess. John 17, 17 through 19 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also send them, or sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Right? We're in this world. We're traveling around in this world. We have to. We're here as ambassadors. We're foreigners. We speak for the king. The king is sanctified. He's set apart from this. And so should we be. And what gets us there is the truth of the word of God. Understanding how he's sanctified us, how, how he set us apart, and how we should walk. The second uh, term that he uses is to dwell, or dwelling place. Uh, Genesis 13 talks about Abraham and Lot, how they could not dwell together because there wasn't enough land. They, had, they needed to minimize and minimalize and get in their tiny houses if they were going to live on the same plot. But they couldn't do that. They had too many sheep and too many goats and all that stuff. So they couldn't dwell together. They couldn't live together. 1 John 4.13 says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. Right? The, the dwelling place was where he resided it wasn't just a sanctuary where he was set apart. He was, he was living there. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Right? The dwelling place, the tabernacle, pictures us. He, God was going to dwell there. The Spirit of God dwells in you and I as believers. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the exact same thing that he said to Israel. But he's making that promise to us as individuals. In the Old Testament, he dwelled in, in the tabernacle in the middle of the people. Today, he dwells in our hearts. 
Romans 8, verses 9 through 11 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, you are not Christ's. You do not belong to him. Right? And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. He's sanctified you. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Okay. Where does he dwell? Right there, right? He's inside of us. He dwells in, in us. We are the tabernacle. There are three distinctions for the tabernacle. Letter C. And, and the first one under that is the tabernacle was temporary. The tabernacle was temporary. Temporary. Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Peter's talking about a tabernacle. He says, yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Peter's talking about his body. He's going to soon put off his tabernacle. He understood because of something that Jesus specifically told him, that his time was short. It says he's going to put off his tabernacle. His body is going to die. 2 Corinthians 5.4 says, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for what we would, or that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. This tabernacle is mortal. This body's not going to last forever. One out of one of us don't make it. It's just the percentages we've got to deal with. We're not going to make it. This body is temporary. This tabernacle is temporary. The tabernacle that they, they traveled through the wilderness was not the temple, right? The, the tabernacle was temporary. The temple was where they were going to set up and stay and live and worship the king, right? This tabernacle is a temporary dwelling place. And there's two terms that that the tabernacle was called. One of them is the tabernacle of the congregation. And that, that is used all through Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. The tabernacle of the congregation. Exodus 27, 21 says, in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil or outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall order it from the evening to the morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. The tabernacle of the congregation has everything to do with this congregation of Israel, right? It's, it's to communicate with themselves, hey, the tabernacle's right in the center, right? We live all around there. The, the tabernacle is in the middle of us. God dwells in the middle of us. All of these other nations that we're gonna run into are gonna worship false gods. All of these other nations are gonna be blasphemous and they're gonna, they're going to be against God and they're going to tell us lies and they're going to try and draw us away. We've got to recognize the tabernacle of the congregation. Who we are, our identity, is in Christ. Right? The rest of the world has only lies to offer, only distraction. 
The tabernacle of the congregation is your reminder. Numbers chapter two, I don't have any specific verses on there. The, the entire chapter talks about the positioning of the nations around the tabernacle. If you, do you have that picture again? Yeah, so if you go through Numbers chapter two, it says there's three nations that will be on the north side of the tabernacle. There's three other nations that will be, or tribes that will be on the south. Three on the east, three on the west. And, and the, the Levites will be all just around the center, around the outside of the tabernacle and the tent. And so, why is that? Because the center is where God dwells, right? Your world should revolve around God, not the other way around. Your world should, you should have a constant reminder that right in here, the center of my life is Jesus Christ. Everything that goes on is Jesus Christ. Every, every motivation is for him. And everything else that's trying to draw me away from him is a lie. He puts himself right in the center. He should be the focus. The other term is the tabernacle of testimony. So the tabernacle of congregation is a reminder to me. The tabernacle of testimony is a term that it's a visual for everybody else, isn't it? What is a testimony? Numbers 150 says, but thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony and over all the vessels thereof, over all the things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister unto it and shall encamp round about the tabernacle. So that's just one of the places where he uses that. In the New Testament, <coughs> Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke talks about that same thing. In Acts 7:44. he said, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness. They called it the tabernacle of testimony. He calls it the tabernacle of witness. It's the same thing, right? Of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Why would they have a tabernacle of witness? Because God chose Israel to reach the rest of the world for him, right? God's vehicle to reach the world for himself was Israel at that time. God's vehicle to reach the world for his glory today is you and I. The tabernacle should be a testimony to the rest of the world. This tabernacle should be a testimony. I should be a testimony to the rest of the world. My life should revolve around Christ. So, wrapping up here. So where does God live? In the Old Testament, for a time, he lived in a tiny house. And today, I'm not as big as the tabernacle, so he lives in a tinier house. Right? He still lives in a tiny house. It's you, it's me. It's anybody who claims the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you are the tiny house. You are the mobile tabernacle. You are the one who's going to travel through the world as the tabernacle of the congregation to remind yourself that he's at the center. You're going to travel around the world as the tabernacle of testimony to point out who the king is. God gave them order and detail and he stuck them right in the middle of all of these other pagan nations. Why, why do you do the things that you do? What are you doing things differently than me for? Oh, because God said so. Why is it, nation of Israel, that you take, you take your mess outside of the camp? Why is it that you have all the rules for dealing with disease and cleanliness issues and Oh, God told us to do that. Oh, well, those are really good ideas. Yeah. 
God just has amazing common sense, doesn't he? Right? His tiny house in the New Testament is us. It's me. If you've never asked Christ into your life to save you, you can do that tonight. He's not asking you to offer all of these things to him in order to get salvation. He has offered salvation to you as a free gift. He has done the work. He has made the sacrifice. He has made the way. All of those things are, are how you can allow him to clean you up and make you more precious. In the next several weeks, we're going to take a peek inside the tabernacle. We're going we're to check out some of God's furniture. Every bit of it is specific. Every bit of it is purposeful. And we're going to work our way from the entrance all the way to the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God resides. Romans 15.4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And you read through Exodus chapter 25 through 40 and, and it's just a bunch of furniture and it's just a bunch of details and there's loops on everything and there's a staff and everything's wood covered in gold with latches and it just, it's just stuff. But he says those things were written aforetime for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. And when we start seeing the details of why he made the furniture the way he made it, you should have incredible hope from the promises that he made in the tabernacle. The title of tonight's message is, What Are You Made Of? All the materials we saw were, are used in the tabernacle or used in the furniture. All of them gained value after being worked on. Are you letting God work on you? Are you fighting it? We should have hope even in, even in being worked on, even in the struggles of life, that God is working on us, making us more valuable so that we can willingly offer ourselves again to be used for his service to build the church and keep building the body of Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for the cool pictures, the incredible pictures that the tabernacle is for us, that is of us. Um, I do pray that we would... Uh, really just understand better what those pictures are, how they apply personally, um, and how I can be motivated and have hope from the pictures, from the, from the truth that's in your word, all of it. Lord, we love you. We do pray that this next song would be glorifying to you, and uh, I, I just want to keep praying for open doors. Give us boldness to, to just start talking about the things that our life should be revolving around. Uh, give us a reminder when we're in the midst of the world and we're, we're feeling too shy or insecure to, to speak up. Remind us that we are the tabernacle of the congregation. We are the tabernacle of testimony. It's time to speak up. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.